Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Hello and welcome to Home Education Matters. Today I'm joined by Karen Bonthron and we're going to be discussing how to rebuild your child's confidence when they have had a bruising school experience and perhaps you've withdrawn them because they have anxiety or they've had bullying experiences or just can't cope with the school system and we're feeling overwhelmed. And it's such a big topic, this one. And so I'm really pleased to talk to you about it today, Karen. So would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself first and then we can launch in? Yeah, so I have two jobs at the moment. I work for a local education charity called Surrey Satro. Um, I'm the inclusion lead there. So we work with students who are home educated. That's a main part of what I do. We also work with students with a wide range of educational needs. uh, And we try and fill any gaps that we that we find, really. Then my other role, I am self-employed as a provider of home education So I have students that have been removed from school due to additional needs, anxiety, a wide range of things. And I come to their homes and teach English, maths and science. That's fascinating. So you actually work for the local authority? Yes. So it's through an agency. Um, They're called Power Tutors. If anyone is looking for a tutor, they're brilliant. (laughs) Um, So they have contracts with the local authority where there is not an appropriate school place for that child. It will be in their EHCP that the local authority will provide lessons for them. And that is where I come in. Oh, so you this is interesting because I did a I did a kind of live on a Facebook group the other day and a, a woman really wanted to pull her child out of school, but she was in a special school and the daughter had an EHCP. And I know that the process is very different for that. So you then support these children who have been withdrawn but have EHCPs, which for everyone listening, yeah. an EHCP is a kind of um, it's a kind of educational plan for if the child has special educational needs. Is that that's I know it's a, probably a terrible definition, but it's yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a plan that's agreed um, between the parents, a school if there is one, and the local authority as to what needs to be provided for that child in order for them to access education fully. Could you talk us through a little bit about what an EHCP is and how perhaps somebody might go about getting that within the school system and then outside of the school system? Yeah, so it basically an EHCP will cover um, what needs that child has. So needs that have been identified by parents, by the school and by the child themselves. So things that they say that they are struggling with. And it will then detail what has been agreed that will be provided to support that child and who is going to provide it. So if there are things that the school are going to provide, it is in there that they have to do that. Um, And it will be reviewed every year. So you'll have an annual review meeting with everyone who works to support that young person to see what is working, what needs to be changed and updated. And does the LA get involved in the EHCP? Is it through yes. them or is it through the school? It's through the LA. Um, so the it will go through the school initially. It will probably be requested by the school. But it's you have to work with the local authority because they have to agree to it and they provide the funding to do whatever support is agreed to be necessary. So how accessible are EHCPs for home educators who are outside the school system? 
It is a long process. <laughs> it does take quite a lot of time. Um, and it can be quite difficult if you don't know what you're doing. So you really, it's worth reading up on the sort of what, what is the process and knowing what you're going to need to do before you start. The main thing is to find a contact at the local authority who will help you. I would say that is your first port of call. Um, often if your child has been in a school, then the school, if they have been removed from that school or they're just not attending that school, then they can help you as well. And it is harder to home educate or to withdraw your child from school if they have an EHCP, I think, right? It has to be agreed with the local authority, does it, that provision is in place? Yes. So because the support that has been agreed still has to be provided, you will need to agree changes to the EHCP. Um, so I've done that with one of my students where he was in school and then he was removed from that school because it wasn't working for him at all. And we had to go through quite a long process of changing his EHCP to move the support from a school-based situation to a home-based situation. And, and the that, EHCP... that did take a long time. Yeah, I can I can imagine. And the EHCP, that that funds a certain amount of provision, specialist provision for the child in school and outside of school? Yes. So in a school situation, it might be that child needs a certain number of hours a week of one-to-one support from a learning support assistant or a teaching assistant. Um, So that was actually my very first job in education was I was an LSA. Um, So then the local authority will provide funding to the school to hire someone to do that. Um, if there isn't someone already at the school who has the time available to cover those hours. Um, and for outside of school, it so the EHCP for my students says that they are entitled to a certain number of hours of teaching. So then the local authority pays for that teaching through me. And they would pay for that online or in person, I'm guessing. Would that cover both? Yeah, so it would depend on what had been agreed is best for the child so for this particular student that I work with online is not brilliant for him so it covers in-person lessons with me. I'm guessing that I don't know a lot about local authorities but I'm guessing that they don't have a very a lot of money. <laughs> so They do not. <laughs> yeah so is it quite difficult to get an EHCP because it must cost quite a lot of money for the local authority for each EHCP that they that they sort of uh, agree with? It's very difficult to get one that provides a lot of funded support. Yeah, it's quite difficult to get one that says we are going to pay for lots and lots of different things. Um, And that is that it's not because the local authorities don't want to provide this. I'm sure that if they had endless funding, they would do all the lovely things that they could. (laughs) But obviously, they have a very strict budget, particularly at the moment. So they really have to allocate their money where they see the most pressing need. What sort I would of not needs... want to make that decision. <laughs> yeah, it must be it must be really unfun. What sort of needs are mostly um, are the ones that mostly get you an EHCP? Is there are there specific things that are like you know absolutely you know yeah you're going to get an EHCP for that? And are, are there other things that just yeah no that's not going to be funded? Um, so I think anything where you have a formal diagnosis is going to make it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So if you have a child or a young person who is formally diagnosed as being having ASD or ADHD or something like that or there's some sort of physical need that is going to make it a lot easier because it's a more concrete 
we have this diagnosis, therefore we need these things. Um, where it is more sort of generalised anxiety around school, that could be a lot more difficult to get support for. Mm. Um, it's just easier if you can say specifically, this student has this diagnosis. I'm guessing that the support is in the form of a tutor teaching a subject rather than a, a tutor coming in and perhaps helping with anxiety. It, it can be both. Um, so I have another student where I work on life skills with him. So I'm not teaching him an academic subject. I'm working on him. So he's he's a little bit older. I'm working with him on things like going outside the house and going and buying food, doing a weekly shop, things like that. It depends on on the needs of the the student. Mm. And so I'm guessing mostly the special educational needs here are autism or ADHD predominantly, are they? Quite often, yeah. Although usually what I found is there is a high level of anxiety that comes along with both of those, um, which is usually the result of just having bad experiences in education. Yeah, I was actually just about to say, because I know quite a lot of home educated children with those diagnoses and they're, they're not anxious at all. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> guessing it's it's partly just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in the school system. Yeah. So it, it usually depends what has happened previously. As I said if they have not been supported in school for whatever reason, maybe they weren't diagnosed until quite late. They can build up quite a lot of anxiety around education and educational settings. So that leads us nicely on to the main kind of bulk of the conversation today, although EHCPs are fascinating and I would like they to have are. another <laughs> chat about those. Um, but th what are your kind of top tips for supporting a child who has been pulled out of school because they just had a very bad experience, whether it's because they've got a diagnosis that hasn't been fully supported in school or whether it's because perhaps the dynamic with other pupils or maybe just feelings of overwhelm and anxiety within the school system. What are your kind of top tips for parents who've just perhaps pulled their child out and are left with, in some cases, a bit of a shell of a child in front of them and they don't really know where to start and what how to support them? So I would say the first thing to do is to just remove any kind of timeline or sort of academic learning objectives like we have to be at this point at this time just get rid of it because yeah. if you've got a student who is really really anxious around education educational settings you have to rebuild that trust before you can do anything else so just get rid of the learning for however long it takes to to rebuild their confidence their trust so just we're not doing that we're just going to go and do some things because it might be I've had students where they've become so anxious that just leaving the house is a really big deal. So I would say you probably want to work on that before you worry too much about the English, maths and science. Although as a teacher, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you that question because I know that some parents worry that the they've taken their child out of school, they've deregistered with the school, and then the LA contact them two weeks later and say, can you send us a report about what you're doing at home? And they're like, well, I really just want to heal my child. So obviously learning has to take place from day one for the local authority, as, as I'm sure you know. And so 
what would be your advice for trying to marry those two things up where you really do want to take off that academic pressure? As you say, it's so important. It's something that we call in the home education community de-schooling, which is probably a term you've heard of. And and it is, it's so vital for the parent and the child. But how do you then marry that with an LA that want to have a report saying, how are you, how are you dealing with maths and how are you dealing with English? Um, so I would say the best thing to do is to try and include just little bits, but not to a set timeline. Um, because the LA, they they do understand, obviously, the situation that you're in. They are not going to turn around and say, well, you haven't met this target, this target, this target, particularly not at the beginning. Because it will often take a little bit of time for those targets to be to be set. So as long as you can demonstrate that you're doing some learning and that doesn't have to be sit at the table and do some worksheets you know educational trips so try and find things that are different to what they were doing in school because if they have really lost their trust in that kind of educational setting you don't want to throw them back into that so be a little bit creative would probably be my next top tip so something that I do in my job at Satro is we run um, STEM days for home educated students so we do that mostly at Brooklyn's Museum and it's a drop-in day. You come in, you do some science activities with myself and my colleagues. We're there all day. You can pop in and out as you please. So you come for five minutes, you can go take a walk around the museum, come back in, do a little bit more. So it's entirely sort of student-led in that way. And that sort of thing is it's really valuable. You can put that on your report to local authority that you came and you did some science with us but it's completely different to how you would do it in school so I think what you're saying there is that it's very important that you don't try to replicate the school environment at home immediately because there's negative connotations around it exactly yeah the last thing you want to do is you know take you out of school and then we're going to make school in the dining room at home The problem is I do think a lot of parents who are quite uh, nervous about this move into homeschooling they do think, oh, well, you know, I need to make sure that we're sticking with the curriculum and I need to make sure that they're keeping up to date. And so I think often it's nerves on the part of the parent that makes them think I must do lessons for a set amount of time. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely heard that from parents who home educate. And I would just say embrace the fact that you don't have to do that. Like having been a teacher in a school, it is quite prescriptive. You have to teach to a certain timetable, you have to teach these things in this order by this time. The advantage of home education is you don't have to do that. Like, yes, you do have to make sure you meet the curriculum by you know the end of year 11 or whatever it is, but you don't have to do it in the same way that schools would do it. Well, so, in actual fact, you don't have to meet the curriculum by the end of year 11. This is one of the beauties well, no. <laughs> of home education. You can choose not to follow the curriculum and obviously yeah. not to sit exams if you want to do. But I do I do get the point you're making. Yeah. So what would your uh, third tip be? So we've had remove academic pressure and we've had, you know, be creative in how you see learning opportunities. And I have to say, so far, this is exactly the advice that all home educators give other home educators. So this is brilliant. <laughs> so it's nice to know that that the kind of LA and, and education specialists agree with us on these things. So what would be your third tip then? Um, so third tip would be to look for opportunities outside of the house. So look for organisations like Satro, where we hold these events. Um, because one thing that I've heard a lot of home educating parents say that they are worried about is the social aspect 
is there's their child, their young person, not being able to be around people their own age when they're not in school. So look for things like what we do at Satro, and I'm sure there are other organisations out there that do lots of wonderful things as well, where they can learn something with other people their own age and maybe you know have a chat like, make some friends there's things like forest schools and yeah, stem exactly. days and you know when, when museums have kind of home ed days that kind of thing yeah yeah exactly make the most of them they are out there um, and believe me when I say as someone who's organized these events the more the merrier we want you all to come <laughs> do you get funded by the LA per place or is it that you have a certain amount of allocated places that you have? I mean, what I mean is, can you stack them high or do you have sort of a... a for quota? our STEM days, is that? But yeah, and that kind of thing, yeah. So for the STEM days with Satro, that's not funded by the local authority. Um, we apply for different grants, different bits of funding to cover that. Um, for the... The teaching that I do in my self-employed role through the local authority, it's as many as I can fit into my time. Mm. Um, so these students, they'll come with a certain number of hours that that's in their EHCP, like we were saying earlier. Yeah. So if I can fit that number of hours in, then I, I will. <laughs> you sound if like you're not, quite busy. it has to be <laughs> someone else. I am, yeah. <laughs> so what would be your next tip for how to rebuild a child's confidence when it's been a bit battered by school? Uh, use their interests. Is I was going to say that one myself. That's very yeah. good. That's one of my favourites. But yeah, <laughs> it's the first question I always ask when I get a new student is what do they like to do? What are they interested in? Because they are you need to rebuild that trust, particularly for me coming in as a home education teacher they don't know me. They're coming out of an experience that can in some cases be quite traumatic and difficult. Um, so then having me coming into their home and trying to, to teach them can be a bit, a bit scary and a bit daunting. So it is easier if I can connect with them using something that they enjoy doing. That's so interesting I've, because I actually had a question on when I when I mentioned on one of the big homeschooling groups that I was doing this podcast, I I asked if anyone had any questions and I had two questions. And one question was, how do you as a parent, how do you help rebuild your child's confidence in adults when they've had that knocked out of them within the school system, perhaps by the teachers in the school system? Is there is there a way that a parent can can help to rebuild a child's confidence in adults? I'm guessing you know, to a degree, it's exposing them to friendly adults like you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That definitely helps. Um, and sort of showing the child that you trust that adult. So I've had students that I've worked with where they really, really didn't trust the idea of a teacher coming into their house. It was like, oh, goodness, no, that's really scary. But what really helps is having the parents saying, no, it's fine. They're nice. You'll like them. <laughs> You know, it will be fine. Just give it a try. Um, I guess that's so, difficult to do if you don't know the tutor, because you, if you were to do that and then the tutor wasn't very good, then you've, you know, that's a bit of a problem, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so you can always request to meet the tutor first before they meet the child. Uh, uh, yeah. I've done that before. I'm always happy to do that, to have a, a meeting or two meetings even with the parents so that they can get to know me and they can tell their child anything they want to tell them about me. 
I think that's really good advice. And I actually think not just for tutors within EHCPs, but I think generally home educators that employ tutors need to ask a lot more questions and need to see it more like I'm spending my money on you. And so I expect, you know, I expect to be able to have consultations with you and see how things are going and all that kind of thing. So in actual fact, my second question was from a tutor who works with home educators. And she said, how could she as a tutor help to rebuild a child's confidence? She has a a tutee who's been pulled out of school. And even two or three years later, that's that child is still very low in confidence about teachers and tutors so how can she as a tutor kind of rebuild that so I think the most important thing as a tutor is consistency so even just turning up which I'm sure this tutor is doing but for a lot of students who have that kind of mistrust of adults in a teaching position it's because they feel like they've been let down Mm. by teachers previously teachers who have not understood them and you know, it's very difficult in a school setting. Like I've been there, the te- the students you want to spend your time with are never the ones that you actually get to talk to. Um, but said students that get pulled out of school often do feel like they've been let down by education. So just the fact that you are there, same time each week or each day, however often it is, and that you turn up no matter what has happened the lesson before is really, really valuable. Yeah. And, and also there is a turnaround of teachers in schools, isn't there? Because there I, is. I was a yeah. teacher for a, for a while and, you know, you can have, you know, you can be teaching one class and you're pulled to another one, and then you're suddenly changed years. And it's, you know, it, you do, you do sometimes lack that consistency in the school setting. You do, you do. And I've worked with students who that mistrust has kind of manifested itself in really, really pushing boundaries and just to see if I would leave, you know, sort of if I behave this way, will she go? if I say this or do this, is she going to walk out? Uh, To the point where I've had students say, are you going to go now? Because Mm -hmm. I've done this. And the answer to that question obviously is always, no, of course I'm not. I'm here for an hour. Doesn't matter what you do, what you say, I'm here for an hour at these times on this day, I'm staying. And then tomorrow I'm going to turn up again. And just Mm -hmm. having that, that sense of that they can rely on you can be really, really important. That's so good to know, because that had never really occurred to me. But I'm guessing that even as a parent, that's valuable advice that that when your child who is who has been traumatized by school, when they push the boundaries with you, they're really checking to make sure you're going to be there and you're not, you know, you're not going to not going to sort of absent yourself from that parental relationship in whether it's emotionally or physically. Yeah, and it can be quite difficult. There are, I've seen a lot of challenging behaviours, um, but it's remembering that that is often the root cause is that they are scared and they are worried that you are not going to be there and that as long as you you keep turning up and you keep saying the same things and you are consistent, then it does eventually. And it can take a really long time. Mm. That's the thing, you know, this is not going to happen overnight. This is not going to happen in a week it can take a really long time but eventually they'll start to feel and they'll start to think oh hang on actually no this person is always going to be there like I can rely on the fact that on a Thursday morning she's going to turn up on my doorstep yeah it is slightly terrifying how long it takes a child to get over that kind of school trauma and neither of my children have ever been to school and I think I I think I take a lot lot of things for granted um Mm. but in homeschooling UK which is a big group that I admin 
there's so many. I mean, every single week we get posts and posts about um, a parent pulling their child out of school because of a host of negative experiences. And obviously, we're only going to hear those. We're not going to hear all the positive yeah. ones because we're a home education group. But I wonder um, how much of that response when they first take their child out of school, how much they need to be a parent and how much they need to be a home educator. It, do you have some sort of sense of whether they you know, whether it helps to start nice and early on establishing roles and sort of saying, okay, you know, we need to do lessons as well. Or is there a place for unschooling, for example, or that kind of child-led approach? Yeah, I think you need to build up to these things. So this one particular student that that I've worked with who really, really came out of school very with very negative feelings towards education, education settings and teachers in general, <laughs> bless him. Um, we took some time to to build up so he'd been out of school for I think a few months before I met him and for the first few months that I was with him we didn't do any lessons we played board games because that was something he really really enjoys Mm. so we had about two or three months where I would come to his house twice a week and we would play whatever board game took his fancy that particular day and it was so that he could get used to me being around and he could get used to me being another adult in his house and things like that and then we started building up the learning very gradually so we started off with going to do 10 minutes of maths before we play the game and then it was we're going to do 20 minutes of science mm-hmm. before we play the game and gradually and gradually so then eventually we got to the full lessons but it did take some time um, but having tried it a little bit too early <laughs> I realized that you know if I put a lot of work in front of him he was just he would shut down yeah too overwhelming yeah so we did need to build it up quite gradually and I think that's probably the case for a lot of students Mm. what about parents who perhaps have taken their child out of school and then their child and their child is really completely withdrawn perhaps in their room on a game you know really really not not uh, communicating with their family and not wanting to engage with their family and perhaps without the support of an EHCP. Do you have any advice for a parent whose child may be sort of very focused on gaming or something like that? And obviously internally they're healing, uh, but from as a parent's, from a parent's perspective, it can feel quite passive and a little that you're a little powerless. I'm sure. I'm sure. I would say try and use that interest to sort of re-engage them with you would be the main thing. Um, so speaking as someone who has never played a video game in my life, I know that might be <laughs> quite challenging. Um, but, you know, get them to show you what they're doing, what they're playing. Try and get them to talk to you about what this game involves. Use whatever it is that they are currently interested in just to try and get them to re-engage with you before you start introducing new things. And there are so many, there's Minecraft curriculum and there are so many learning opportunities within a lot of these games. Would there be a point at which you would recommend a child to reduce screen time or reduce that kind of um, sensory, um, I, I want to say onslaught, but that's a loaded term, isn't it? But that kind <laughs> of um, high sensory environment, would there be a point or any kind of special need within the child that would make you think, do you know what, I don't think this is the best thing for the child? Or or is that is that depending very much on each individual case? That would very much depend on, on each individual child. And I would say, you know, I'm I'm not a parent, but 
I have lots of friends and I know people who are, I would say, trust your instincts as a parent. You know what is usual behavior for your child. You know what you think is is right for them. You know, yeah, trust your instincts and you, you know what's best for them. And do you work with any unschoolers out of interest? Uh, I don't, apart from any that come to our home education um like stem days i mm. don't tend to work with them through my my self-employed role because they are presumably not asking the local authority to fund lessons with me depends on the child but yeah probably yeah. unlikely <laughs> we interrupt this broadcast to remind you to like and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to join our home education matters facebook group where you can find details on all our podcasts any links or resources mentioned chat to our guests, request upcoming podcasts, and even come on the podcast yourself. Do join us over there. So we've got remove academic pressure, don't echo school, look for organisations outside of the house for social opportunities, use their interests and be consistent. So is there anything else you'd like to add to our very lovely list? Yeah, I would say the main thing is, yeah, look for learning opportunities outside the curriculum as well. Like I have students who do courses in animal care and they do sort of equine therapy things. And it is, it is learning and you can do qualifications in these things, but it is completely different to what you would get in school. So just embrace the opportunities that you get from not being in a school setting. You might as well. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many wonderful subjects that you can do GCSEs in, but also just do, like you say, alternative qualifications in. Yeah, there's cooking and photography and all sorts of wonderful things that you can do. These alternative, uh, I think they're called like level two, level two courses and things like that. They give you. Yeah. They're not. Some colleges don't accept them. I know though. So some colleges don't necessarily accept them, but generally they're they're sort of equivalent to a GCSE, aren't they? Some of these. Yeah, and you'll always be able to find a college or a higher education centre that that will. Um, so I have a, a student at the moment who's doing an access to higher education course, so that he has the opportunity to go to university if that's what he chooses to do. So that is a little bit different to your normal going to university route and there are some universities that won't accept it but there's also plenty that will so he's not going to be super limited in his choice of university okay so I'm going to I'm going to throw a throw a sideline question at you now <laughs> so feel free to take your time to answer it but oh, that's okay. what would be if we were to take autism and we were to take ADHD as possibly two of the most common diagnoses for home educated children who have a special need. What would be your top tip for a parent of an autistic child? Take your time. <laughs> I know I've sprung it on you. <laughs> I would say take it slowly. From the experiences that I've had with students who have ASD, change can be very difficult. So you need to introduce things quite gradually. They tend to like their routines. So don't change everything up all at once. Yeah. Um, and make sure you give plenty of warning when things are going to change. Um, so for me, if I have to move a lesson or cancel a lesson for some reason, you know, unless it's because I'm dreadfully, dreadfully ill, I will try and make sure that I explain that to the student well in advance and keep reminding them that you know that lesson's going to be on a different different day that week or something like that yeah 
So no kind of curveballs. And again, this leads into that idea you had of sort of being consistent and showing up same time, same place. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me with students with any kind of need, um, my sort of pet hate is when people start saying they can't do things because of that need. Like I really, really don't like it when people start saying, oh, but they can't do that because they have SEN needs. They can, you just need to find the appropriate support to enable them mm-hmm. to do that. So I would say don't limit things that you, you know, don't sit there and think, well, maybe we can't do that because they'll find it too difficult. You probably can. You just need to figure out how you're going to do it. I think a lot of parents as well, they feel that this support isn't there for them. And perhaps they may yeah. want this empowering attitude towards their child, but they quite often they feel let down by the school system and then, and then when they're home educating, they can then feel quite isolated. Do you have advice for those kind of parents? Is, is, would it be to reach out to the LA? Because I think that is normally what home educators don't do. <laughs> yeah, it would be because they can put you in touch with people like me, organisations like Satro that do this sort of thing. And we provide support. So if anyone was going to come to our STEM days that we do with Satro, we always ask people to sign up by email. And obviously, as part of that, you're more than welcome to. I've had a lot of parents who tell us a little bit about their student when they sign them up. So if there is anything that we can do to support that student to come and enjoy the STEM day, we will do it. We absolutely will. So, you know, teachers in schools, they they want to do all these things. They really do. (laughs) It's Mm. just a bit more of a restrictive environment. If teachers were given, you know free reign of money and time (laughs) they would do all these wonderful things but they just can't but reach out to other organizations that have a little bit more flexibility like we we are there we will support you know I've had students that have been very very worried about coming to our STEM days because it's a lot of people in a room it can be quite daunting so the first thing I always say to worried parents is come and find me I always put myself right by the door of the room so it's come and find me say hello I will introduce you to my colleagues just to reduce that anxiety and if there's anything else specific that we can do to support students coming we will do it yeah so contact the organizations that you're perhaps putting your child into for the day or if you're taking them to any groups just contact the people organizing it and just explain the situation yeah chances are whatever needs to happen will happen like the people who run organizations like this, they want to help, they want to support. So yeah, just start that conversation and let us know what you need. And so that leads me to the next one, which is if you if you are the parent of a child with ADHD, what would be your top tip for a home educating parent whose child has ADHD? Uh, I think it would, the creativity side of that in how you learn because for a student with ADHD, I'm sure anyone who's got a child with ADHD will know far more about this than I. But the idea of sitting at the dining room table doing lessons for four or five hours a day is just too too daunting. Can't happen. So, yeah, be creative. Like if you're going to do some work on plants, go outside, go and visit some gardens, go and find them. You know, think about doing it in different ways. Like parents know how their children learn best. So 
make use of that. If they learn by doing things, go do things. If it's seeing, if they're a visual learner, go and find things you can look at and mix it up. Do different things all the time which I know can be quite daunting as a home educating parent because all of a sudden you've got to come up with all these ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really interesting because I've never spoken to anyone from the LA before and as a long-time home educator we there is a perception of people that work for the LA as being sort of the enemy realistically. (laughs) I couldn't think of a better way of putting it, but that's pretty much true. And so it's very reassuring that having spoken to you, your tips are remove academic pressure, don't echo the school system, look for external organisations, follow their interests, be consistent and take subjects from outside the standard curriculum. And then it's things like, you know, be creative and, and parents know their child best. And all of these things are like the mantras of home education. So it's really lovely. It's like talking to another home educator, but you're not a home educator. It's really, it's really lovely. So thank you so much. Where can any of our listeners find you? Do you have like a website for your tuition or for the Satro thing? Where where can people find you if they wanted to or social media or whatever? So Satro has a website. We are satro.org.uk. So you can find me on there. My email address is is on the website I'm the inclusion lead you're based Um, whereabouts where is that company because that's a local local organization right so we're based in Guildford but we cover um Surrey Hampshire Berkshire London (laughs) for a very small charity we cover a very large area (laughs) yeah it's a lot of people you're covering there and what about any social media links or any links for the tuition uh, so I'm on Facebook as Karen Bonthron. Uh, I get most of my tuition work through Power Tutors. So powertutors.co.uk. They are based in Redhill. Uh, they are lovely. So if you are looking for a tutor for your child, I highly recommend contacting them. I've not them. heard of them. They're a new one on me. Oh, uh, yeah, they're brilliant. They're, a lot of what they do is finding tutors for home educated students. So they're they're very used to doing it. They're, you know, all the concerns that home educating parents have they they understand they will find someone who fits your needs um and if anyone wants to email me directly i am kvb.tutoring at gmail.com super and you'll also be coming on our facebook group we have a facebook group home education matters and so when this podcast (laughs) is up you can come on the facebook group and then if people have specific questions for you you can perhaps answer them in within the facebook group if that's good with you absolutely Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been interesting because I know very little about special needs provision. I know nothing about EHCP. So perhaps we could have another chat sort of like nearer summertime and we could talk about EHCPs because that's something that I really don't know anything about and does get asked a lot. So that would be wonderful. Brilliant. Well, thank you again for coming on today and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.